Almighty God, we give you thanks for this setting of worship or this beautiful space which you have generously gifted us with through the gifts of the people. This place, this sanctuary where we can set apart time to come and worship you together. And Lord, these moments where we have prayed together and been led by a worship team, Lord, to sing and to hear that you are mighty to save, that you are holy, 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 that you are Lord God Almighty. And so, Lord, as we continue in worship, Lord, help us to participate by listening and learning from your word, and may your word speak to us with power, because it is the living word of God. So, Lord, use this word to teach us that we may live for you. In Christ's name, amen. Well, just one month ago, I was departing on a bus trip for the East Coast as a chaperone on my son, my eighth grade son's uh, American heritage trip with his school, Traders Point Christian Academy. It was a trip that within seven days, we went a lot of places. We saw Gettysburg and Mount Vernon, saw New York City, Philadelphia, and then in three days in Washington, D.C., we were on the go, and it was a great trip. Um, one of the things I was most excited about is we didn't lose any eighth graders in Times Square when we spent about four hours in Times Square. That was really important. But maybe the most moving moment for me was the last morning we had when we were actually drove through Baltimore and we spent time at Fort McHenry. And we went there very tired because it was the last day of the week and we didn't have high expectations for Fort McHenry. But those changed for me personally as at 9.30 that morning, the National Park Ranger, very loudly and passionately with a booming voice, gathered about the 100 of us or so who were there at the fort that morning for the raising of the flag. And he told in about 10 minutes the story of what happened, I believe in September of 1814, near the end of the War of 1812, and how the people of Baltimore were gathered on the roofs of their houses and they were watching a battle that was going on in the harbor between the British ships which were using their cannons to blast in at the fort to try to defeat the Americans who were blasting back at the British ships to protect the city of Baltimore and the harbor. And they were blasting back and it was going on during the night and there was a lot of smoke from all the guns and the cannons. And there was someone else watching that night. It was Francis Scott Key as he was on one of the ships in the Baltimore Harbor. And he said, the people saw the rocket's red glare. They saw the bombs bursting in air. But in the morning after the smoke and the fog had cleared from the water by dawn's early light, our flag was still there. And he wrote those words and he talked about uh, a love for our flag and our country. And this national park ranger captured that in telling us the story. And while he was telling us the story, he had each of us gathered there who wanted to, to unfurl a flag. And it was a replica flag of the flag that had flown over Fort McHenry in 1814. It was about 40 feet by 30 feet, a huge American flag. And as he got to the end of the story, he started to raise it up the flagpole very quickly as we let go, making sure that it didn't touch the ground. And one of the teachers with our group spontaneously led us in the singing of our national anthem. And I was very moved almost to, to tears in that moment. Now that changed a few moments later as I said, you know, to some of the eighth grades, wasn't that cool? And they're like, that was okay, but you know, we're really tired. Can we get back on the bus now? But it's still very moving for me. But what I wanted to tell you about is because that, that man shared an example of passion 
of purpose that he had to tell that story, of the power of patriotism, and he had a plan to tell us that story. And in the same way, we're going to read here in a moment in the scripture, following up on that morning of the resurrection is of Jesus's passion, of his power, that he had a plan to tell about his purpose. And he had Mary Magdalene, an unlikely candidate, to carry out that plan with her passion as she shared that story. So picking, picking up right where we left off last Sunday on Easter Sunday in John chapter 20. We're going to read from God's word. Last Sunday, we read from John chapter 20, verses 1 through 9. And this Sunday, we're picking up right at verse 10, the very next verse as we begin this series, Basking in the Light of the Resurrection. So if you'd like to read along, it'd be on the screen, or if you brought your Bible from home, or if you'd like to use one of the Bibles under the seat in front of you. Let's read God's word from John chapter 20. Then the the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them, she told them that he had said these things to her. Mary Magdalene. We know that she was healed of demons by Jesus and she became his follower, apparently following him almost wherever he went. And she relates to us not as some superhero or some super Christian of the Bible, but as a person who was an unlikely hero. She was a person who was broken and then healed. Well, how do we relate to her? We can relate to her in our own brokenness and in our own healing. Jesus healed Mary Magdalene. And because of that, she gives her life back to him. She, she was healed of demons by Jesus. And so we ask ourselves, maybe not what are not the physical or the actual demons that we are healed of, but how has Jesus healed you? Um, what are your demons? And if God has healed you, are you grateful for that? Or at times, are we forgetful of being grateful or what God has done for us? I know that for me, sometimes I can take it for granted of what um, Jesus has done for me, that he went to the cross, you know, and he died um, for my sins as well as for, as for everyone's sins back then and all through history. And one of the reminders of today is a reminder of Easter, that we should always be grateful and always be thankful and humble for what Jesus did for us on the cross. We should re- retain that thankfulness. So what does Mary Magdalene do as an unlikely follower, as an unlikely candidate to tell the story? We're going to look at four things that Mary Magdalene did. She went, 
she wept, she turned, and she told. And so we're going to look at those things. She went, she wept, she turned, and she told. Mary went to the tomb. And we read about the fact that she was one of the first people there. If we look in the Gospel of Luke, we read that she and some other women took spices as a sign of love and respect to the tomb. Maybe in the same way that we might take flowers to a family or to a loved one who passes away. Now, they were obedient. They waited till Sunday. The, he was, uh, Jesus was crucified on Friday afternoon near the time of the Sabbath, sundown Friday to sundown Saturday, the Sabbath for Jews. And so very obediently, Mary went to the tomb early on Sunday morning. Do we still go to Jesus? Do we go as Mary went obediently where Jesus calls us? We know that Jesus saved Mary. Well, what has Jesus saved you from? Has he saved you from despair or loss or loss of a loved one? Has he saved you from boredom of just an everyday life? Has he saved you from materialism of putting things first before people? Has Jesus given his life for your life so that you can have a great life with meaning and significance and purpose so that I can have that kind of life too with meaning that we can live out? Is that why he saved us? Now, there's no better time as Mary went to the tomb for us to go to Jesus as well. If something has held you back from Jesus or if there's something even this week that you know has made you turn away from Jesus, there's no better time than this morning to go to Jesus as Mary went. So Mary went. She also wept. And in her weeping, she believed and she showed emotion. Do you believe? Do you show emotion? Do I do the same? I know that sometimes in my own life, I can have not very high highs, not very low lows. I don't always show a lot of emotion in my own life. But I'm, I'm sensing that God is calling me, and even as I studied this week, to show emotion in the way that God has called me, the way that Mary showed, because of my thankfulness, because of my realization of what God has done for me. And I read a, vo- a devotional just in the last week that said, sometimes just as human beings, we can be impatient or ungrateful. You know, we ask, well, what's taken so long? Or why is this so hard? Or why is this happening to me? And God calls us very, very quietly, I think, to be grateful and thankful for the things we do have, sometimes even the hard things of life. To be thankful for another day of life. To be thankful for spring and the sunshine and new flowers or new green things in our yards and in our parks to be thankful for salvation that we have through Christ. And God wants all of us to show our passion in the way he wired us up for him, that our faith is not just a a head faith, it's not just head knowledge, belief, it's heart belief as well as we show our passion and our love for him as Mary did. Now, we know that Mary wept probably because she felt frustrated or angry or sad that Jesus' body had been taken because she asked questions about that. And when she does, we see that two angels speak to her and then Jesus speaks. And when Jesus speaks, it says in verse verse 14, she turned. So we see that uh, Mary went, she wept, and then she turned. Now, she first turns and she's not expecting Jesus to be there. Maybe she doesn't recognize him. But um, she does turn to him. And she says in, in verse 15, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. You know, she's a person of action. First of all, she's come back to the tomb 
And now she's ready to take action, whatever that action may be. Are we also people of action in our faith and in our belief as we turn to Jesus' voice? Are we ready to take action in our lives for what he calls us to do? Now, we said at first she doesn't recognize him, so he says her name. He just says simply, Mary. And when he says her name, it says in verse 16 that she turns again and she recognizes him. Jesus uttering Mary's name in his voice, maybe with even his own inflection in the way that he said her name, makes her realize that it is him. We have learned in John chapter 10, just 10 chapters earlier than the passage we read today, that Jesus said that he is the good shepherd. And he said, when a stranger calls um, sheep, they do not recognize his voice. But when the good shepherd calls his sheep, he calls his own sheep by name and that the sheep follow him because they know his voice. Well, Jesus calls each of our names as well. He knows your names. He knows who you are, and he calls you by name. Now, it may not be as dramatic or as audible as Mary heard, but he calls us by name in different ways. And what's our response? Again, this week, if this is a time in your life when maybe you're turned in the wrong direction, when you're turned facing away from Jesus for some reason, for some event, for some circumstance, for maybe some choice, this is the perfect day. This is the perfect time, one week after the resurrection, to turn back to the risen Christ and face him and call out to him as Mary did and to say, teacher, my dear Lord, I'm turning back to you in your heart the way that God has called you to do. After Mary turns back to him, we understand that she grabs on him because Jesus says not to hold on to him for he has not yet returned to the father. Bible scholar Roger Fredrickson says that rather than allowing her to cling to him, the risen Lord sends her on a mission to tell others what she has seen and heard. Do we also want to hold on to Jesus when we encounter him? Do we want to hold on to him and hold on to that moment? Wherever that moment was for you, when you encountered Jesus, you heard him call your name. Do we want to hold on to him? I think that we do. But I think God also calls us through Jesus not to hold on too long, but to go where he calls us to go. And as he did with the disciples, he would send them not alone, but out with the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus tells Mary to go to the brothers. He, he no longer calls them disciples, his brothers, as he has that family relationship with them. And he tells her, tells her to go. So we see that Mary went, she wept, she turned, and she told. She told. She told the disciples, it says in verse 18, I have seen the Lord. And she told the other things which she had seen that morning. Do we tell when we're excited? Do we tell when we have encountered Jesus in the way that he calls us to tell? Can people tell that you have had, that I've had, encounter with Jesus by the way that we live our lives? Are you different because of your relationship with Jesus? Jim Capps, our pastor, told us last week about Mary, even uh, more about Mary, and it even says in Luke 8 too, she had been possessed by seven demons, and she was healed by Jesus. And since then, she had become one of the women that Luke says helped to support Jesus and the disciples out of their own means. She was an un unlikely follower, but she was very important to Jesus and chosen to be one of the first ones 
to see the risen Christ? Are you an unlikely candidate to encounter Jesus and to take his messenger, take his message to others, to be his messenger? I know that I was an unlikely candidate. I know if you had known me many years ago, um, I was kind of quiet, a little bit shy. And more than 20 years ago, I remember when I told some of my coworkers at the place where I was working at the time that I was going to be quitting to go to seminary to study to be a pastor, some of them laughed. And honestly, it didn't really hurt my feelings because that's probably I kind of would have laughed too. But I sensed that that was Jesus what was calling me to do. And as I've, I even told some of my best friends about that, they said, are you really sure? Are you sure you want to stand up in front of like talk? Uh, talk to people about God? Or is that, are you sure you want to do that? I said, yes. I think that's what I'm called to do. And I know that for me, I would probably be a never person, I would probably never be a person who would be good at sales because I, I wouldn't be bold enough to go for the sale, to ask for the sale or to close the deal. But I do know that I consider it a privilege to stand up and talk with you and at this church about Jesus and who he is. And over the years, I've had the privilege of talking with our little kids in different places of our youth and talking with you about the truth that God tells us in the Bible about who Jesus is. And we should all feel that way. Now, I also know that I'm a person that I don't always get it right. I still stumble over some of the words I use. I still have, I still have fears and failures, but I do know and I do trust and believe in with all my heart that this is the best life that we can live as followers of Jesus Christ. And therefore, it's worth whatever the cost that it does cost us. One of the ways that we can learn more about how we tell others. So, so you might say, well, how am I supposed to go and tell others? What am I supposed to tell? One of the things I've liked at ZPC here is our one-to-one ministry and the destined books that that one-to-one ministry uses, which you've probably heard about in worship over the last year. And in book three of that series, it talks about um, sharing Jesus's message with others. And he uses four words in that book. It says, it talks about Jesus's purpose, passion, plan, and power. And really these are in line with the story today of what Jesus shared and then what he asked Mary Magdalene to do. Jesus' purpose becomes our purpose. We learn that Jesus' purpose is to bring glory and honor to God the Father. It wasn't about him necessarily. It was to bring glory and honor to God the Father so that others would turn to him. So when we share, we don't have to think so much about ourselves because it's not about us. It's about bringing honor to God in the way that we share in our actions and in our words. Jesus' passion becomes our passion. His love, his compassion, his care for people who are hurting or helpless, for his creation around the world, for his people That's what he calls us on to have that kind of compassion on others. We want Jesus' purpose to be our purpose and his passion to be our passion. Jesus' plan becomes our plan. His plan to die for our sins and save sinners. Jesus said in Luke, take this message to all nations. There is forgiveness of sins for all who turn to me. And he told Mary to be part of that plan simply by go and tell the disciples, go and tell the brothers about what I told you. And he does the same to us. He calls us by name and he says, now go and do this task, which I've called you to do. And it's our job to answer the call. Finally, Jesus' power becomes our power. We learned that just about seven weeks later, about 50 days, the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon the disciples in Jerusalem 
And they go out with great power and they share about the story of Jesus. And we learned that on one day, 3,000 people come to put faith in Jesus Christ in the book of Acts because of the power of the Holy Spirit that he gives them. And Jesus gives us the same power. When we know him, we have the power of Holy Spirit living in us and working through us. So be like Mary. She went, go to Jesus. Mary wept, be grateful and be passionate about your faith. Feel the emotion that God gives us. She turned, she turned to Jesus. She went to the tomb and then she turned to hear his voice. May we turn too when we hear Jesus' call, when he says our name. And she told, she told others about Jesus with a purpose, the passion, the plan, and the power that come only from God. And he calls us too to be part of the plan. Now, I know in saying this, this can be a little, sound a little churchy and it can sound challenging. It can sound overwhelming um, to think about, you know, well, I wasn't there on the day of the empty tomb. I wasn't there with Peter and John and Mary. I didn't see that. And so what can I do to go out and make a difference? What can I go to do to tell others? Well, part of our church staff was kind of wrestling with that kind of question just Wednesday, just four days ago. And we were talking about it here in the church building. And this question was put to us. How would you describe a deep relationship with Jesus? And I thought some of these answers might help us to think about how we live this out as Mary lived this out. Here were some of our answers. A person who follows Jesus looks at the world through a Jesus lens. You see things through Jesus' eyes. You genuinely love others. It's a genuine, real love. We think about things in a Jesus way. As a parent, as grandparents, as Sunday school teachers, as people who pray, we help our children to be disciples. We treat our children with respect and love. And you treat every person, every situation the way that Jesus would. Jesus is our one and only, not one among many. We know him. We, we don't just know more about him. And this is a challenge, but we need to know him personally, not to just know information about him. And also that we are transformed more than informed. We don't just have information, but that God has transformed our minds and our hearts. We are inspired, changed, and compelled to live for Christ, not simply as people who've made a decision for Jesus, but people who are really trying our very best to live for Jesus in his power. And finally, we have a heart for Christ alone, committed to him and to others in relationships. So let's learn from Jesus. Let's take on his passion, his purpose, and his plan. Let's live in his power. Let's be like Mary Magdalene, who was that unlikely person that he called out to live for him. We too can be unlikely candidates that God has called in our own lives, in our own ways to live for him. Let's answer that call. We also mentioned the word plan. Part of Jesus's plan and then is for us to gather together as a church and to live out what it means to be the church, to tell others about his love for us. And you've been very kind in helping us, giving us feedback through a process of a strategic plan called Vision 2020. And you get the chance now to give more feedback into that plan, more specifics about how we might live out that plan as disciples of Jesus Christ. And to tell us more about that is our current elder, um, Kevin Schmidt. Kevin. Good morning. I wanted to share with you, kind of recap just a little bit about what is the Vision 2020 uh, process and what are we doing. And so Vision 2020, if we could have the next slide, 
was created to kind of get us uh, together to confirm what we want to be. Uh, what do we want to look like in a handful of years? And then, um, you know, what, is, what does the Lord want for our church? What, what, do we, what does he want us to look like? And how do we prioritize what we're doing? How do we put our time, talents, and treasures in alignment so that we can move together as a church? Part of this process is also to say, hey, church, here's what we want. Here's our dreams, our hopes, so as we hire a senior minister, that person can come alongside us and lead us in that process. So we have another opportunity, and um, if we could have the next slide. Uh, we need you to pray. Uh, following this uh, service, if you'd like to have an open, more open discussion in the choir room, Val Lindenschmidt will be leading that. Uh, just to have a discussion about the questions we're going to ask again today. And then uh, we're going to give you an opportunity to uh, complete uh, post-it notes. And uh, you should have in your bulletin, on the inside here, three post-it notes with three colors. And we do have somebody in the congregation that, I don't know, Steve, if you're willing to stand up, but this is this, the greatest shirt I've ever seen. It is, in fact... Pink, yellow, blue, green. If you could stand up. This is the guy with the post-it note shirt. It's fabulous. Thank you very much. I didn't have the brains to wear that today. But at any rate, these post-it notes are here for a reason. We're going to take five, seven minutes to uh, challenge you to help us. And so let me talk about what we did. We were here February 28th, give or take a day or two. And we said, hey, church, here's some questions. We want your input. And let me show you a couple slides of what we did. We put them up on the wall, categorized them, and we actually read them. Novel idea. And in doing so, we learned all kinds of things that this church is excited about. I also, in reading them, said, these are things we can do. This is good stuff. We can do these things. So, some of the, uh, let me tell you what the three consistent themes were. Keep going on slides here. Nice pictures of lots of post-it notes. And we're going to do this again on Tuesday night from what we gather today. Post-it note after post-it note said something like, I'd love to bring my whole family here to church to worship and to learn. I'd love to have Bible study offerings for the whole family. I would love to come together as a family and serve a wonderful local mission. I would love to come to, as a family, and time and time again we heard the word family or lots of different age groups represented. In fact, this morning during our first service, the high schoolers and junior high group were asked these exact same three questions we're going to wrestle with. We've got a stack of post-it notes that large that Phil Halstead brought back from the high schoolers. So this isn't input from 50-somethings, this is input from everyone. So we gathered this information, and you said three very, three very important themes time and time again. I desire to have Christ-centered worship and study, hands-on missions and outreach, and fellowship within the Zionsville community, all with the intergenerational theme throughout. So I said, you know, we as a group, tried to say, how does this fit with our current mission? So let's look at our current mission statement. And it 
and it talks about being called together, the Zionsville community, um, by God to make disciples, worship and study, and release them for service, which is missions. So again, the themes that we said we wanted tie in tremendously with our mission. Let's look at the six marks of a disciple. I won't read them to you, but I think you can see that these marks, again, tie into what you have said is important. So let's challenge you now. In your bulletin, you have three post-it notes. I would like to ask you to spend the next five to seven minutes, we could have the next slide, to answer to try to challenge you to think about these topics. What's your big ideas and dreams for this church as it relates to Christ-centered worship and study? And give us some specific examples. Hands-on ministry, missions. Wouldn't it be neat if on Sunday, I'm just as an example, wouldn't it be neat if Saturday we had 150 people bust down to Shepherd Center and we did something together? All generations. Think how much fun we have as a church building a habitat home. And finally, how do we make this church the community church? What can we be doing to do that? Following the service, there's some plastic buckets. It says post-it notes. There's some white boards you can stick them on. But now it's your turn to give us input again. Now, the telephone lines are open for the next two days. And this is an American Idol, but I'm going to have a little fun. We're going to meet again on Tuesday night to do the post-it note thing, to look at your input, to try to say, here's what you have told us, and we're going to come back to you with a brief synopsis sometime in June that says, here's what you said. Then following that, we will, we will have an implementation team that says, based on what you said, we're going to start, pick some stuff and do stuff. I'm going, we can do that. This is good. So um, we want, following this service, for you to put in those buckets, post-it notes, and, and give us your response. Uh, June, we will come back to you again with some, after it's presented to the session, to our plan. So I thank you from the bottom of our heart for all the input we've received. And uh, hopefully this will be a time for you to give us your input. Now's your time.